Let's pray. Almighty God, Lord, we just come so thankful for your presence and your power and the fact that you keep moving. Set our hearts on you. We pray in this moment as we open ourselves up to your Holy Spirit, move and come, do what you do. Move in us, transform us. May we give you all the praise, all the glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We are starting a new series today. Uh, We are going to kind of journey through the Gospels, and we're going to talk a little bit about food. Uh, And that may be a strange thing for you to think about that we're going to talk for the next six weeks. But I'm challenging you to do a a Lenten fast. And so if we're going to fast... Sundays, we can talk about food. Uh, and so I thought this might be a way for us to kind of look at how Jesus interacts. Uh, Anita asked you the question of what your favorite local restaurants were. And here were some of the answers. These may be yours here in uh, service as well. Uh, Rico's, uh, Pasta Max, uh, Tony's Pizza, Serafino's, Italian Oven, and Poppy's uh, seem to be some of the most popular ones. Uh, And so I just want you to kind of just think a little bit about how important food is to you. Now, it may be obvious that food is important to me, uh, but food is important not just because of nutrition. Food is important um, for like social, I think that's part of one of the struggles that we've had over the pandemic is that we haven't been able to gather uh, with people maybe outside of our immediate family and, and socialize the way that we have. Food becomes uh, an emotional thing. Uh, and so we have comfort, comfort food, certain things that you like that just helps you feel better. When I get sick, there are certain things that I like that are things that bring me comfort. Um, if I think about the big moments in my life, I mean, the big moments in my life, most all of them, I don't know what this says about me, but they all tend to have food uh, there. Uh, and so I started thinking about those. Uh, my, my son got married a couple of years ago. Y'all haven't heard about that lately, so I just need to bring that back up. Um, my son got married a couple of years ago, and, and Claire and I would go around. We were doing the rehearsal dinner, so we had to go around and travel. And I know it's a tough job. We had to try different restaurants so that we could find that place that had the food that was just perfect. And so we gathered the night before the wedding, and we had a big meal, and it was just it was a grand time. Uh, the next day they got married. What did we do after the wedding? We ate again. Uh, and so it was just, you look at different functions in different times. When our kids have birthdays or if we have anniversaries, it's always like, what do you, what do you want? What's your favorite meal? What do you want to eat? Uh, where do you want to go to eat would be what we would have said prior uh, to, the, to the pandemic is what restaurant do you want to go and eat at? But those big events, how do you celebrate um, life victories? When your children or you graduate or when your grandkids graduate, what do you do? You gather probably and go out to eat or sports teams. When you celebrate uh, something, what do you do? You typically go and have a banquet. Uh, And so all of those, there's there's just a connection that we have. Uh, I shared at my mother-in-law's funeral that that's that's what I remember the most about her was her cooking all the time. Uh, Claire tells that her dad used to yell at her 
uh, and not yell like ugly yell, just yell at her pusher. Say, come on, we got to go to church. Church is going to start in five minutes, and she's still putting dishes in the oven uh, to cook while church is going on so that there would be a meal to eat once they got back. And so they would sit and eat, and we did that when we would go visit. We would sit and eat a full meal that she had cooked and prepared. Food is just something that connects to us and allows us to connect to each other. When we got back uh, from Claire's mother's funeral a couple of days later, we had a couple uh, show up from the church uh, at our door and they brought food. And here's what they said. They said, this is what we do. We pray for each other and we cook for each other, right? I mean, that, that is what we do. Monday when my mother uh, had a stroke and we, I, I was here in the sanctuary, got the phone call, drove to Canton to be with my dad and my best friend, y'all have heard me talk about my accountability partner, he serves a church in Canton, he found out what was going on and he called me and the very first thing he said was, can I bring you food? It's just, I mean, it, it, it's just what we do. It's how we connect to each other. And the truth is that breaking bread is an important part of our life. The, the word companion comes from the, the Latin word companero. Do you know what companero means? It means breaking bread, to break bread with. So essentially, we become companions on the journey as we break bread together. We become companions in this life and we share this life as we share a meal. And so when we look at the Gospels, we see Jesus eating on multiple occasions. Um, now, you have to stop and realize the Pharisees, who were critics of Jesus, they operated differently. So they fasted. They fasted twice a week. Uh, and that was the pattern that they did in order to be able to, to draw closer to God. Jesus didn't kind of operate with that same pattern. He fasted, yes, we can see that that's in his life as well, but, but he didn't follow the same exact pattern as the Pharisees. So the Pharisees criticized Jesus. And so I want you, if you've got your Bibles, I want you to open up to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, and you'll see this part on the screen because I want you to see the criticism of Jesus because he didn't follow the pattern that the Pharisees followed. In verse 34, he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. That's their description. He's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other sinners. That's how they saw Jesus. Now, what I want to do is I want to read you the further part of that story. So we're going to start in verse 36, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 48. It's a fairly long story. I don't have the slides on the screen. Uh, hopefully you'll have your Bibles with you. If you don't, I really encourage you to bring them here in person. And for those who are online, to, to get your Bible, you can access it on your phone if you have the ability to do that. But what I want you to do is I listen to the story. I want you to just kind of, who do you, who do you relate to in this story? Starting in verse 36, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him, 
She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the, wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not st stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her, sons, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me so much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Now this is a very awkward moment in Scripture, if you read it and listen to it. Now I shared with you about, it's probably four, three or four years ago, we looked through the Gospel of Luke one time, and I shared with you that Luke... Luke tells stories by contrast. So you often see two people in the story. And if you remember what we talked about then was he would always, Luke would always tell it to where the hero of the story was the person that you didn't think would be the hero. So here was the sinful woman and the Pharisee. You would think that the Pharisee would be the hero and the sinful woman would not. But Luke tells it in a way that the sinful woman becomes the hero. And so you can always read Luke's stories when he contrasts people you're going to typically see those on the margins become, uh, become the heroes. And so when you start thinking about who do you see, who do you relate to in that story, I would say that probably most of us would somehow probably see a relationship to the sinful woman. We'd like to, right? We would like to say that we it can acknowledge that maybe we sin. We can acknowledge that uh, we're broken, but we can also look to the grace of God. And so, but I, I want us to focus today on, on Simon, Simon the Pharisee, because we learn something about him that I think can help us as we begin Lent. Now, Pharisees, they were a religious sect in the first century. And so they were, I mean, they get a bad rap because we, we, we think of the Pharisees negatively, but the Pharisees, they were, they were studies, students of the law. They were experts at the law, and they taught in the synagogues. They did everything they could to devote themselves to God, uh, to be obedient to what they understood. They knew what scriptures were, and so these were the people who, who wanted to be everything that God wanted them to be, and so they studied. They looked at the law. When scripture says, okay, I want to honor the Sabbath, what does that mean? How do, how do you live and honor the Sabbath? Well, the, the Pharisees would sit around and go, okay, well, these are some things we can do that can help us honor the Sabbath. And they came up with, yes, they came up with additional laws that would say, okay, these are the things you have to do in order to be obedient, uh, in order to be honoring on, on the Sabbath. And that's how they lived. They, they tried their best to not break the law. And so you would look at them and think, okay, their heart's in the right place. I mean, they're drawn to Jesus because Jesus is going around. And what's he talking about? He's talking to people about how being, to be obedient to God, how to be devoted to God. So they're looking at Jesus and going, okay, let's listen to him. And so they invite him over. They invite him to dinner. Now, the Pharisees, the word means set apart, means to separate. What are they set apart from? What's that? 
non-Pharisees, they're set apart from sin. I mean, essentially, yeah, I mean, it is. They would be set apart from sin. They would be set apart from sinners. And so they would certainly, because you've got to remember, what did they, how do they understand sin worked? If you were around somebody who was sinful, it affected you. So if you were around somebody who was unclean, you became unclean. And so they did not want you to come to their house. They didn't want you to have dinner with them. But it's interesting that some of the Pharisees do eventually follow Jesus. Saul, his road to Damascus, the blinding light, he becomes Paul. But most Pharisees in Jesus' day were repelled by Jesus. Why? Because he understood the law differently. He practiced the law differently. And so they looked at his life and everything that they believed, Jesus turned upside down. And we've talked about this as well, just as a good reminder, because for, for Jesus, what mattered most, people or rules? People. But for the Pharisees, what mattered the most, people or rules? Rules. Rules mattered more than people. Jesus is constantly doing ministry with the people that the Pharisees are separated from. And so this unsettles the Pharisees. Because when you eat with someone, you bond with them, right? You fellowship with them. You become companions with them. And so why did Simon the Pharisee invite Jesus to come to his house to eat? I've pondered that question. I don't have an answer. You might think differently than others around the room. Why did he invite them? Did he invite Jesus? I'll just get you to think about that. Did he invite Jesus to come in because he wanted to gain knowledge from Jesus? Or did he invite Jesus in so that he could convince Jesus that what he was doing was wrong? I don't know the answer. I think the scripture kind of tells us a little bit about Simon and Simon's heart. So in the first century, when somebody would come to your house and you would invite them in for dinner, you would give them a kiss on the cheek, first on the left and then on the right. But scripture tells us that the Pharisee did not give Jesus a kiss. So first question, why didn't the Pharisee give Jesus a kiss? To me, I think, okay, that's kind of, I'm going to keep you at arm's length. I'm going to let you come into my house but I'm not so sure about you. So I'm going to keep you at bay. You would have a basin and a towel for people to wash their feet. It makes perfect sense because they were walking around with open-toed sandals. Their feet got dirty, got dusty. They were accumulated dirt on there. You sit, their tables were much lower than these. So you would sit at a reclined position and let's just, it's not pleasant to think about, but you just didn't want to sit and eat a meal and all you smell is feet. And so you would have a basin so that people could wash their feet. And they actually would anoint with oil so that it would help cover the smell. It was part of why they did it. There was no basin, there was no towel, and there was no oil. So what does that tell us about Simon? And what I think it says, at least when I read it and interpret it and think about it, I think it says that I want, I know everybody thinks that Jesus is all this, but I don't. And we all have sometimes position and power that allows us to 
push somebody down in a sense. I think that's what Simon the Pharisee is doing at the beginning part of this story. And what do we call that? Pride. I think we see pride in Simon. And what do we know about pride? Pride is what's listed as the deadliest of the seven sins, right? I mean, pride is, is harmful to us. And so into this setting comes this woman. So I want y'all to imagine that. Pharisee invites somebody to his house who's probably with him at the table. Other Pharisees, right? That's what you, I mean, you separate out. You don't want to separate with non-Pharisees. So probably the people around the table were, were other Pharisees. This is the setting that this woman comes in, and she's a known sinner. We don't really know what sin she commits, but most people would speculate that it's prostitution. But we don't know that. But whatever she did, whatever sin it was, everybody knew that she did it. She was a well-known sinner. She was uninvited. This was not anybody that Simon would ever have invited to his house. And she walks in with an alabaster jar full of perfume. It says it's expensive perfume. We don't know how expensive. Another story in the Gospels um, tell us that a woman uh, put oil on Jesus' head and it was a year's worth of wages. So imagine if you're working today, imagine working for an entire year. This is what she clutched in her hand. It was the most important thing to her. And she walks into this room. She sees Jesus and she falls to her knees and begins to weep her tears fall on his feet and then she lets her hair down to begin to wipe jesus's feet all of this is occurring in the pharisee's house all of this is occurring at his table and as she pours we learn something more about simon because simon has a thought it's a thought that's not expressed verbally but it's expressed in his head and we see it and what's the thought he thinks if jesus is a prophet he should know who this woman is and he wouldn't let her touch him because she is a sinner and i love the fact that jesus knows what he's thinking that's an important thing for us to remember jesus already knows what he's thinking and so jesus responds back to her this is this is simon's pride it's what's hinted at when he doesn't give him a kiss it's what's hinted at when he doesn't have oil when he doesn't have a basin simon doesn't have any compassion for the woman Simon doesn't have any mercy. He never asks, why is she crying? He never wants to think about being grateful the fact that she is at least before a, a, a rabbi. She's at least before somebody to ask questions to. All he does is label her a sinner. Think about what she's done in the past. We get a glimpse into Simon's life. And Jesus turns to the woman and then to Simon and says, do you see her? This woman is somebody's daughter. She may be somebody's mother. She's certainly broken. She's a child of God. But all Simon could see is what she'd done in the past. Jesus teaches in another, gospel, in another story in the gospel, in Luke chapter 18, Jesus teaches about this way of thinking. And I just want you to hear this because Jesus addresses this mindset and it's the story, he tells the parable, or it tells the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector praying. Do you remember? And the Pharisee in that story prays about himself. And he says, you know, I fast twice a week. I do everything that I'm supposed to do. And I'm just thankful that I'm not like that person over there. I'm just thankful that I'm not the tax collector. 
And the tax collector, all the tax collector prays is, have mercy. And what, what Jesus says as he tells the story is he then says, okay, so let's get to what the purpose of the story is when you have pride. Listen to what it says in Luke 18, verse 14. The point of the parable is this. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now I want to pause here and get you to think. Have you ever been Simon the Pharisee? Have you ever thought of yourself as morally superior to someone else? Have you ever thought of yourself as religiously superior to someone else? Have you ever looked at someone and only saw what they had done in their past? Have you, only, have you ever looked at somebody and thought the worst rather than looked at them and hoped for the best? Have you ever made a judgment about somebody based on the way they look, the color of their skin, what they wear? Have you ever made a statement about someone? Have you ever gossiped about someone? You ever talked behind somebody's back, tried to tear them down? A few years ago, we looked at a passage in Ephesians. I hope you still remember it. Ephesians 4, it says, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. That's not just your words, it's your actions, it's your thoughts. The reality is I don't have to ask you to raise your hand if you're Simon the Pharisee. Because we're all Simon the Pharisee at some point in time in our lives. The truth is at the table, we can all relate to that. What I want to get you to push and thought is, what, what does God want us to be? When we pray and we sing, God, come and do as you, come and do as you do. Set our hearts on you. Who is it that God wants us to be? Church, do they want, does God want us to be more like Simon the Pharisee? Or more like the sinful woman. What kind of church are we going to be? How are we going to see people who walk in this church who are different than us? What obstacles are we going to put in place to make them feel comfortable at the table? Ask yourself, what, what's that thing that you say that I, I won't let go of that to let somebody else be comfortable at the table? struggle with whatever that is because jesus says that people matter over rules listen to me church this is our sanctuary this is our our church in essence but it's not our church it's jesus's church jesus created the church and in just a moment we're going to celebrate communion and as United Methodists, we use a lot of liturgy. I just, today, I just want you to hear what Jesus says, what our liturgy talks about. Christ invites to his table all who earnestly repent of their sin 
and seek to live in peace with one another. Who in the story better represents that? Simon the Pharisee, the righteous, the holy one, or the sinful woman? See, I believe as we can open ourselves up and allow God to show us our pride, we can begin to let go of that pride. And you know what we become? We become the sinful woman. We realize what separates us from God. But we've got to start with allowing ourselves to look at the pride that's in our life. And so I'm going to invite you, if you're able, to stand and say a prayer with me. This is not me praying for you. This is us praying together. For you at home, it's going to be on your screen as well. I invite you, if you want to stand, that's fine. But I'm going to invite you to say this prayer with me. And let's say it like we mean it. Pray with me. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors. And we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.